Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here, as always, with my fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Marty. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm on the road again. I'm in Houston, but you know, every week it'll be somewhere different, so it's all fun. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know what? Uh, good for you. I'm so I'm glad you get to go explore while I sit at home and you know work. Being <laughs> home is good, but yeah. this week we've got a great uh, topic, and we have two special guests. But we are going to be talking about building a successful business. So if you want to kind of maybe guide us into where we're heading today, and then we'll bring on our two special guests. Absolutely. Well, Marty and I obviously are very active on our NASM Facebook page, and we keep seeing a common theme with people that really struggling a little bit on how to market their business, how to open, like when they're opening the doors, considerations, even things from what books and accounting things should they consider? Are they using any kind of technology? And so we wanted to bring in two of our very own master instructors to who own and operate and have opened multiple businesses in order to you know, make their own living. And so I was really excited when these two agreed to be a part of our um, webinar today because I think they can offer some amazing insight on where they started, how they actually started, to, and then where are they now because they're super successful. And so for those of us that are, are new to um, even considering or, or thinking about maybe considering opening a business, I think, I think this webinar is going to be amazing for that i hope <laughs> hey, with, with these two our life just got easier so how can it yes be, right how can it not be awesome yes so with that um we have um annie malathong she is one of our master instructors she's joining us here from georgia as well um so annie thank you for being a part of this show and uh before we bring in andy do you want to introduce yourself and then we'll Bringing. Uh, yeah, I think so. Thanks to Marty and Wendy and uh, NASM for inviting me today for the webinar. I'm really excited to talk about how to build a successful business. And um, like Wendy, like you said, I'm in, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and I own Fitness Studio 108 here, but I'm also a master instructor for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. So I'm really excited to share whatever questions you guys have and um, share with the industry how, how we make it in this business. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Annie. I know you're busy. So, um, and you forgot you're a mother of four, by the way, not one, not two, three, but four. So <laughs> I have a million children, so busy. <laughs> yes. And then we're going to bring in Andy Hanley. Andy is actually joining us from Ireland or what we would say in the States is Ireland. Ireland. So, yes. So Andy, thank you for uh, being here. And do you want to tell the group a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Andy Handy guys, I'm based in South Florida. I've uh, been in America now about 10 to 11 years. So I've got a pretty extensive background with sports performance. So I was blessed to kind of spend some time in Ireland, the UK, Australia, just adding a bit of lead to my coaching pencil. But the last 10 years, I've kind of stepped away from a lot of the sports performance stuff. And I currently own and operate two different facilities. So I've got the Hive, which is basically a health coaching and performance gym. Well, we kind of found a little niche in the market that we thought we could attack. And that was more so me providing a facility for independent trainers to come and utilize my space, um, whereby they're in a supportive, you know, encouraging educational environment. Um, and then I get the opportunity to kind of coach up 14, 15 coaches on a, on a weekly basis and just help them manage and facilitate, you know, their growth as an independent business. And then about 15 minutes west of that in Fort Lauderdale, I've got a facility called BFT, Body Fit Training, which is actually a franchise out of Australia, which I got into about a year ago all in. We opened at the height of COVID. There was some strategic reasoning behind that. Um, and yeah, we're, we're rolling really well. We're growing at a nice steady pace. And that's more of a group fitness facility with a twist. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm about now. That's where I'm at. It's keeping me busy. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here as well. And, um, you know, sorry to keep in the background, Marty, but if you don't mind, I'd love to ask the first question because right. this is this is actually a question that we, we get often again on Facebook. And so it's mainly a lot of trainers and ASM trainers that are trying to find their way and they're wondering if they should open up their own facility. And basically they, you know, they want to know 
how to do it. And so I know that's a very loaded question. So if, if I kind of broke that question down and you guys are trainers, you knew that you wanted to, you know, bring in your your knowledge and, and your expertise to you know the public. How and when did you know that you wanted to open your own facility and you know what led you to do that and then how did you do that? Kind of loaded. Yeah, you want to take this Annie first? Oh, yeah, I was like, Andy, what do you want to do? <laughs> so that's a super loaded question. But um, to answer the first part of it, Wendy, I think your question was, how did I know when to open up a business or um, how I wanted to, I guess? I actually knew from the get-go, you know, I come from my a medical and a business family, which sounds kind of weird. So growing up, my mother is a registered nurse in the ICU and worked in the hospital setting. And then my father had always been an entrepreneur and a restaurateur. So I always knew I wanted to own a business, but I also had a medical mindset. So I actually knew from a really young age that I wanted to. Now, navigating the industry when I first got into it, I actually wanted to be a physical therapist. And that's what you know, my degree is in is I was set up to go into the DPT and I started working in the physical therapy industry. And I was like, wow, this is um, not what I want to do. <laughs> and so at that point, I had to explore what I was going to do with my life. And at that time, I was going back to school to figure out if I wanted to do, you know, several other things like physician's assistant or go to med school or you know, just trying to discover that. And I happened to connect with one of my physical therapy colleagues and he was like, Hey, we're looking for trainers in this gym. And, um, they actually want to start like this track and field, small group training for these kids. And I was a track athlete for most of my life and, uh, throughout college and even after college. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I, I will, I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, to make a really long story short, I started as a group X instructor. And then the same day, the manager was like, hey, do you want to be a personal trainer? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't know what that meant. Um, and so what I did was, of course, I got certified. And it was NASM when I got certified because I always was like, I need to do the right thing. Like, how do you start this industry? And I started in a big big box gym, which we would consider a big box gym. And I think a lot of this, everything I learned in physical therapy and everything that I learned in uh, Bex and coaching athletes, I just kind of meshed it all together and found my way and my style and what I wanted. Um, and I actually thought that I was gonna stay in corporate for a really long time. I, I was really happy there. Um, however, as I developed as a trainer, I was like, uh, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> I wanted to create my own thing. Um, and so I actually ended up just opening up my own facility, catering to people with medical issues. Um, and at the time it was mainly high blood pressure and cholesterol and um, things that showed up in a lab work that I knew that we can help change through fitness and nutrition. And that was actually in the height of the 2009 recession. So um, I knew I just needed to take a leap. I'll say that. And, knew that the community needed me somehow. So I found a small little niche and said, I'm just going to open up this facility and um, believe in if you build it, they will come. <laughs> Best movie of all time, just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I really believed that. And then I had to learn kind of the hard way. So um, I'm sure that's going to be a longer conversation. <laughs> uh, um, and I think we're going to get into that. So I'll, I'll push that back to Andy now. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, my background, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. I mean, I knew I didn't want to be in a suit and tie, you know, in my career for a living. So I went down the sports performance world, got my feet wet with some professional organizations, which was enjoyable. But I just love the social interaction you get working with, you know, general pop and average Joe. So I've always kind of had this entrepreneurial DNA in me. A lot of my siblings um, have their own businesses um, just the business world in general kind of fascinated me. And I was always kind of, not that I was counting other people's money, but I would see guys that had created something for themselves and they had autonomy over their schedule. They had financial freedom. And I guess I just wasn't afraid to pick up the phone and ask. So I was kind of getting a lot of my early lessons outside of the industry, just by having random questions about branding and marketing and different processes and 
trying to better understand just the financial aspect of running and owning a business. So when push came to shove then and I saw an opportunity and, and, a, and a potential niche in the marketplace that I really wanted to attack, I pulled the trigger. Um, so went in there, definitely learned on my feet. Whether or not it's been a success, you know, we're going five years now. I guess I've never really defined what success looks like for me. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's going to be constantly evolving the more I learn. Um, but in terms of what kind of drove me to do it, I just knew I wanted to be self-employed. Um, I didn't want to really be, not that I can't take direction, but I'm quite an independent thinker. I'm quite creative and I like to do things on my timeline. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's quick, but I just wanted to be in a position to act and just take ownership over, you know, my career and my finances. So that's what led me to getting into my first gym, The Hive. Awesome. Well, how did you guys know then square footage and equipment and that kind of stuff? Because you can say, oh, yeah, I want to open a business. I think I'm going to do that tomorrow. Um, it's not that simple. So there's got to be a little bit more. Now you know you want to do it. You both realize that you, you have your kind of niche and, and Andy, you just want to work for yourself. So mm -hmm. there's got to be a little bit more towards, OK, now you know you want to do it. But then how do you do it? Like, how do you find your space? How do you know that it's the right space for you when you've never done it before? So I'll, I'll start that one. Um, I had a certain clientele that came from a certain area. And that's how I figured out where I wanted to be in terms of opening up a brick and mortar. So to answer that question, Wendy, how much square footage and how did I know? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I'll be honest. And to what Andy said was I kind of learned on my feet. Um, what I did do was the numbers first. I'm a numbers person, like your typical, you know, just math person. <laughs> um, and I just ran my numbers and I was like, what can I afford? And with no business background, really, like my father, again, owns a restaurant and, and has a business. My brother owns a business. And at the time we were, my father just opened because he loved cooking, right? Like they always say you open a business because you love what you do, but not because you actually know business. <laughs> And my brother was fairly new into his business as well. He had a, a bar and restaurant in Hawaii. Um, so I actually just said, hey, what's the square footage look like? What does it cost? Like, what's my overhead rent? Took in consideration, like, did this little business plan, of course. And I was like, these are my expenses, and this is what I'm going to have to cover. And I was like, this is what I'm just going to have to make. Um, so I was your typical woman i'll say that i walked into a facility i looked at it it was gorgeous i had this like total vision of what i wanted there and i was like i'll take it <laughs> and thankfully the landlord took a chance on me and we signed paperwork like genuinely leaped just just dove right in to business <laughs> andy yeah, that's great. I mean, look, I, again, I had a slightly different route because I knew when I opened my facility what I was looking for. And just while we're on the topic, before we get into the kind of nuts and bolts, for those of you guys that are listening and you're seriously thinking about building your own business, you know, building a brand around you and your expertise, I would really encourage anybody to bite the bullet and do it. It's hugely gratifying. You know, it's a privilege to get up every day working for yourself, knowing that you can kind of move the needle or steer the ship in any intended direction that you want and I feel like the barrier to entry for a lot of people that might be considering potentially opening a brick and mortar business or starting an outdoor boot camp or starting a kind of remote based business is that you don't feel like you have all the answers. And it's one of those things that you don't need all the answers. It's not what you know, it's your ability to know. So picking up the phone, making those calls, doing your due diligence online, you'd be amazed at how much really good information you can get that's at your fingertips. Even listen to this podcast. I'm sure our details will be shared. Uh, Annie, myself, Wendy, Marty, like we're all happy to take calls and guide you guys. But it starts with having that sense of belief and assurance in yourself that you have the ability to get this off the ground if it's something you want to do. And oftentimes people are kind of swamped by this just fear of failure. And failure is always kind of looked on as this negative thing. But for me, like failure and success, they live next door to each other. And failure is a good thing if you learn from it. And again, I'm in a position that I've been in a lot of different roles in this industry and I failed at a few different things and it kind of helped shape my thought process in terms of, okay, I know the to-dos, I know the what not to-dos. And so I've got that through experience. Guys like you that are considering a venture like this for the first time, you get to lean on us for our experience. So as I said, before I kind of get into nuts and bolts, anybody that wants 
information. It's kind of looking for specific questions. You know, we're more than happy to take them. But in terms of MySpace, being a health and performance facility, I wanted, I needed room to move. So when you walk into my facility, there's not a whole lot of machines. I knew my whole MO was to build strength to support movement. So in order to allow people to move, I needed space. I knew I wanted to cater for anywhere from 10 to 12 independent contractors at any one time. So I decided I needed a space between 3,500 square feet and 5,000 because I wanted office space for PT and Cairo, which thankfully we have. Um, so my space requirements were pretty easy. I needed four walls, decent height and ceilings, and just room to move. And then outside of there, over the last four to five years, as the business has evolved and we've had to kind of, you know, show a little bit of entrepreneurial nimbleness with COVID and stuff, the look and flow of the facility has changed. But in terms of getting open, the one, the one piece of advice I would give people is don't sell yourself short instead of space. There's nothing worse than when you're operating in a space and your business is growing and you're stifled by, by room. So I, I kind of sit on one side of the spectrum that I would always say, in my opinion, you're kind of safer to sit on the slightly larger side that will allow you and force you to grow than be in this little shell that you're trying to grow and expand your wings and you just haven't got the ability to do that. Awesome. That's great information, Andy and Annie so far. So, you know, just to recap, we're talking about building successful business with two of our fellow master instructors here, Andy Hanley and Andy Malathon. So here's my question. I know, Andy, you and I have talked about this, but we'll throw it back out there. And Andy, I'd love to hear your point of view is everybody has a passion or a lot of people have a passion to take what they know from fitness and then move into the entrepreneurial space. But from when I joined into this industry, the landscape landscape has changed dramatically. It used to be just big box gyms you had to compete with. Now, big box gyms own some of these small boutiques or there's these major chains of small boutiques. And that is really a, a massive part of the industry. And when you start, now you have to determine, can I compete with those? How do I compete with those? So what is your, both of you, your strategy behind doing what you do well, but knowing that there's bigger players in that kind of footprint that you are you're going after? I love how Andy, you just always want me to start. <laughs> um, I think it goes back, it does go back to what Andy says, is you really have to believe in what you do, in your expertise, and what your vision is. Like, you really have to take that leap of faith, but also have that confidence in yourself. So to answer that question, Marty, you know, I, people have always asked me that. Like, there's big gyms right down the street from me. There's small boutique gyms. There's these... Um, quote unquote, small group training facilities that are franchises. And people say, you know, how do you compete? I just don't see them as competition because I understand what their target market is. And I understand what my target market is. And when we discuss target market, uh, for those of you listening, target market is specifically who you're reaching out to and who you're talking to, like who your ideal client is. I think a lot of people, when we start this industry, we think, oh, well, I can help everybody and I can do everything. And although you probably can help everybody and you can do everything, please understand that you probably have some really great strengths in you that people are looking for. And so what I always tell people is, you know, just like if you go to um, a shooting range or a, uh, I don't know if you shoot a bow and arrow, <laughs> and there's a target there. You don't want to just look at the entire target and say, well, I'm just going to shoot and hopefully land. It's really you're looking for that bullseye and that bullseye when we in business, when we talk about that, that's called your target market. That is the ideal client you're looking for. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to help everybody else in that target or in that demographic. You may land there, but ideally what you're looking for is um, identifying who that target market is. So in order for me to compete against these big box gyms, I understand that they're going to they're going to get all walks of life walking into the big box gyms. Uh, the small boutique ones, the ones that cater to small group training or certain type of um, demographics, that's what they're going for. And it's just not what I do um, in my business and who our target market is. So for us, it's not really a competition. It's a matter of competing against ourselves to figure out how we get that target market. That's awesome. Andy, what do you got? Yeah, I love that. And look, we talk about competition, but competition. <laughs> Competition is not always a negative thing. Mm -hmm. you know, I always bring that back to sports, right? That's my background. I mean, the days we were preparing or I was preparing individually against a good competitor, I would always raise my game. So for me, look, the reality is there's a lot of different types of gyms. There's a lot of small boutique gyms. And I think there's room for everybody in the market to thrive. To your point, Annie, yeah, you've got to find what your strengths are. What do you do really well? And then double down on it. 
And I firmly believe like our value as a company will come from the value that we actually bring to the community and those we serve. So when we start talking about boutique gyms and our gyms personally, it's like nowadays it's a physical and it's a social experience. People want to come and they're going to come for the nice gym. They want a good program, but it's ultimately the culture that you create will be your direct advantage against these big box gyms. They're sterile. They're impersonal. If someone doesn't show up, they're not getting a call. I mean, we've got systems and processes in place that if we don't see someone for 72 hours, one of us are picking up the phone and we're calling. So we just have the ability to be so much more fluid and maneuverable in terms of how we go about doing what we do well from a training perspective to a client relations perspective um, and then just to a, to a culture perspective. Um, so I think how, do, how can we survive or how can any new gym survive? It's just making sure that you get your community and culture in check. And that starts with having a good brand. Like, who are you? What's your message? Who are you looking to serve? And then how are you going to get that message out there? And you, you can talk to this. I mean, it's a competitive space. It really is. Like, fitness is not an easy sell. So many people have gone into this so many times with aspirations and beliefs and goals and failed. So now you're the next guy on the block. What are you going to do differently? You know? And, and the reality is, like, it's digital warfare your message has to have a very compelling emotional argument for people to say, huh, maybe these guys are different. Maybe these guys can provide something to me that I can't get, you know, for the, for the low cost gym down the road. Uh, and we can get into some of that kind of branding and marketing in, in a while, but I feel like for the advantages that these big box gyms have in terms of notoriety, um, popularity, good locations, visibility, boutique gyms, if done right, become destinations and they become hubs for, just social interaction. And we know the power that has over people in their lives these days is, is hugely impactful. So I think that's definitely an edge that we have over a lot of other gyms. Awesome. Wow. Well, so Andy, I've got a question. For, I'll, I'll start with you because you always give it to my girl here. So, you know, and, and this is this is something actually that you and I've talked about. But, you know, you know, you guys have provided so much amazing information just about yourself. And and just like you said, Andy, talking about the community and we will get into marketing next. But how do you help someone that, you know, that they want to go in? You guys talked about square footage. You talked about location and how you found your place. But what is a good, you know, low risk kind of budget route that people can take? Because it's not about how much stuff you buy all at once. Like, how do you how do you open the doors and how do you how do you start this knowing what's the right, you know, what stuff that they need on if you have a budget? Because, you know, obviously money is a thing. Yeah, money is a thing. I mean, <laughs> money look, is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. And look, you can only do what you have, right? I mean, the key to this is the key to getting started is to get started, take action. So whether for some people, depending on where you are in this process now, for some people, it might be an idea. Well, I'd love to be you know, an independent facility owner. Some people might be a little further along the line and have money saved. Maybe some people are want to put together a business plan and see, can they get in some investment? And we can talk about that because my second facility actually brought in investors and I got that open without putting any of my own capital in, which has been you know, hugely beneficial for me. Um, but yeah, so the reality is whether you go investors, you've got to know what sort of model you want. So before you can start thinking about the X's and O's of pricing and space, like, again, what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to be? Then it comes into financials. Then it's branding, marketing, and sales. So what's sales? Sales is basically, or marketing, you're generating interest. Sales is basically conversions. So if we bring all that back to ground zero, what do you do? For some people, it might be you starting at a park boot camp. You just might need to get out there and get traction. And again, it just, it's, it's a tough question, Wendy, because so many people are in different positions. Some guys have the capital to go in and, and, and hit the ground running. Some guys are going to be slower burners. And that's why you see it. Like there's different types of ways you can go about owning your own business. If you wanted a brick and mortar, we can talk about that. Some guys now are, are renovating little trucks and they're driving down offering remote training. Uh, some guys are doing it virtually. So there's a lot of different avenues that you can do depending on costs. There's a guy, I'm pointing down the street here, but back in Florida, he bought a big container tank. He's renting car park space from a park. He's painted it. It stores his equipment and he does an outdoor boot camp and I believe he's making a killing. So if, you know, if the climate accommodates that, that's phenomenal. Um, but really the reality is, as I said, it comes about culture and customer experience. So when you walk into the gym, a lot of guys don't really care what equipment you have. If you're working with a more athletic population, yes, they might have certain needs or requirements. 
If you're working with a personal training clientele, you might need a little bit more of that selectorized equipment because this is the stuff that those clients, particular clients might feel comfortable on. But generally speaking, you can open a gym with four walls and an open floor and just a really good imagination. People come for the experience. The experience comprises of how they're greeted, the music, the cleanliness, and then I hate to say it, whether or not you got their heart rate up. So you don't have to have $100,000 to open a gym. I mean, Marty's been in my facility in Florida. I opened that first one for $125,000, and it's fully stocked. Um, I shopped well. I found some discounts. I, I contacted and made some partnerships. But you can do it. I've seen guys open up gyms for $40,000 and be hugely, hugely profitable. Um, so don't let cost or a low budget deter you from attacking this. The biggest thing that anybody needs to be aware of opening a new business is managing your overhead. It's the number one killer. And that's why a lot of businesses fail here. So Annie's point, they just didn't do, they didn't have the business acuity. They didn't really have a good grasp on their numbers or their hidden costs. Overhead has to be kept low. That's your rent. So let's say, God forbid, you got into a three-year lease and it doesn't work out after a year. What's your get out clause? You know, you've always got to know how you can get out. That just gives you peace of mind. Worst case scenario, my new facility, if it fails, it's two months liquidated damage. So it's $16,000 and I can walk away free with no, with the rest of my lease not over my head. So day one, I'm like, all right, I can swallow that. If this, whatever reason, doesn't fail, I'm going to move forward. So that just gave me the reassurance. And okay, I know financially I'm set. Um, and then from there, you start growing. Um, so yeah, so I know that's a long winded way of saying don't let financial barriers be a burden. You can start small and grow. The most profitable gym in the United States there for the last 10 years uh, is a place out in California uh, called Results Fitness, is it? Alvin Cosgrove? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And you hear his story, himself and Rachel. Outrageous. They started with, I think, 900 square feet. Yeah. And they grew and they grew and they grew. And they're the most profitable gym in America per square foot because they got their systems right. They got their people right. And... You know, and, and I guess they just handle business, you know, and we'll get down to that in terms of when the doors are open, what's going to make you win. And now it becomes about your coaches because it, it believe it or not, like this is a team sport. you got to make sure you got the right team around you operating inside of the right culture. But we'll get to that. Sorry. Long way to go. Andy, do you have anything to add to that before we fire off the next question? No, I think Andy actually answered that very well. It's just don't be afraid to start. Don't let financials stop you. Um, you know, I love that we are both on Andy because we started so differently. And, you know, I started in 2009 when I opened up my first brick and mortar and I wanted my first facility to look like the gyms in Vegas. And I made it happen, but it was a lot of money. Uh, I have opened now, um, same, you know, when I moved to Georgia, I actually have moved twice already. So I've opened up um, four different locations, four way different square footages and, um, the way I did things in the beginning is clearly not how I would coach my people now because I had to learn the hard way. Um, but to Andy's point, you know, Marty, to add to that is, is don't be afraid to, to start just to start. Like that's just how you, you do it. You have to jump in um, and don't let financials stop you from that. Cause there's several ways now. Yeah. That you can get it, you know, SBA loans, you can get investors, you can get, uh, mentors, you can get business coaching. Like there's so many different ways and so many different people willing to help in this industry. Cause I think our industry has tremendously expanded, um, since I've opened my own brick and mortar. <laughs> awesome advice. So just as a recap, we're here talking about building a successful business with fellow master instructors, Andy and Annie. Now, before we get to once the doors are open and you kind of talked about it, Andy, we're going to get into the coaching and the team, but what about marketing? Because really as passionate as fitness professionals are and people get on Instagram and do things like that, there is a true science behind marketing. So do you have any advice, either one of you, on things that you found successful, how to either learn that yourself or do you just shift that off to someone that's a true professional and you focus on what you're the professional at? Yeah. All right, you go first. No, right. you go. Are you sure? And he's up. <laughs> Yeah. So look, marketing is basically about what? It's about advancing your reach. So I talked already about having a brand. So who are we? What do we do well? And what's the message we're trying to get out there? And that's what's going to be that point of you know differentiation between you and other facilities. Like why are people going to show interest? So the message matters. And then how do you advance that reach? Obviously now we live in this kind of world where 
We're trying to increase our social footprint and social media is a really powerful tool. It's not something that I fully grasped. In my new facility, I, I hire professionals to run it and we've seen a phenomenal return. In my first one, we tried it and you'll see Marty, I mean, we try, I try and be engaging in my post. I share content. I never really kind of mastered the tags. My growth was not linear. It wasn't happening at a rate that other facilities were getting. And I've since learned that they were bringing in professionals. So for a new business, I would really encourage anybody to allocate certain funds for the first three to six months towards paying a company that are equipped to not only push your push your message, but analyze the data and then fine tune where that message has to be pushed based on your target audience. Outside of that, for guys that are opening up with low cost, it's ground and pound. You got to get boots on the ground. You're hitting up local communities. Uh, you're trying to establish local partnerships. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I visited local sports teams because we're a sport and health coaching facility. I went to all the influencers. So who could I create con a connection with that would lead to a waterfall of clients? So I went to all the local park directors, spoke with them, met with all the managers of the teams. I got meeting with parents and that started kind of filling our athletic book. From the health coaching side, I went to doctors, chiropractors, dentists. Speaking with those guys, I looked to barter services. So I started training a few local professionals, let them know what we're about, what we were providing. And that was just another way that now these guys were more comfortable speaking to their clients about what we provided. Uh, and, then, and the biggest thing I done for marketing was just my model. So a lot of gyms spend a lot of time recruiting new clients, new clients, new clients, and that can be exhausting um, at times. So with, my, with the Hive, I actually didn't want to go that approach because I created a shell that I wanted coaches to come in. I'm now attracting professionals. I'm attracting independent coaches that are looking for a space to run their business. And so I can be a lot more targeted with my message. I can show value to these guys that they wouldn't get in other facilities. And every time I get in a new coach and they've got a book of business, my membership base just grew 20, 25, 30 people in some cases. Um, so again, it depends on your model and how and what you're, who you're trying to serve. But there are budget ways that you can do it, as well as the paid platform, which I have seen huge success with. Awesome. Annie, what approach do you take? Or have yeah, you so, um, I always tell people you, you want to focus on first your target market, of course, who you're talking to. That's the who. And then it's the what. What message, like Andy said, what is your message? What is your um, what is your thing? Like, how do you differentiate? What are your services? And then the where, where is your target market going? So you have to figure out if you're trying to go for those that demographic, where do they hang out? Where do they talk? And to Andy's point, what he had talked about is he started networking with certain sports teams because that was probably his target market. Is that correct, Andy? Uh, yeah, for one, yeah, for one second in the business, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you would go to the where, where these people hang out or where you essentially would find your team, your trainers or your clients. And so then you go the how. How you're going? To, how are you going to do that? You know, social media is really big right now, and I think a lot of people think that social media is the end-all, be-all of marketing, and it's not. It's just it's just another platform. So you have to think about how did we do it before, which before social media was here. You can easily do things on um, Google and search engines and internet marketing. You can do your old-school flyers. You could do things where you would put it into the where these people are hanging out. So again. When I opened in the very beginning, we were printing out a ton of flyers and services and, and placing them in very strategic places that where we thought our demographics would be hanging out. And then as as the industry has evolved and business has evolved, what we've done is, yes, we've looked at other platforms where email marketing platforms, email marketing softwares, where we can automate these emails to go out or um, have these systems in place to make sure that we're capturing that demographic. We do live events still. We do warm-ups for 5Ks around around our community. We still do flyers at certain restaurants and nail salons and you know um, a lot of doctor's offices for us because our space now works on a lot of pre and post injury. Um, so it's, it's, I always go back to, you wanna figure out what your message is, where you're targeting, who you're targeting, where you're gonna put this message and how you're going to do it. And I think those are things that I always teach my trainers as well is you want to figure out, I call it the marketing triad because there's a triangle that I teach them on the, the where, the how, and the what. Awesome information. Yes. And I know, I know Annie's really big in the community because she's always like, Hey, you want to join in? And I'm like, Oh, I'm out of town. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I know, you know, I'm here for support, girl. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I know, obviously, Andy, you and I have talked to about all the stuff that you do with the, within your community. And I think, you know, both of you guys, because your message is so strong and the people that you attract, I think that is absolutely amazing because there is a ton of benefit that you guys offer to those, not even who, who are part of your, you know, gym itself, but just in the community of where you guys are. And, um, and again, that's branding. That's huge. Um, but you know, one, one side question, because I know, I mean, I could talk to you guys all day and I don't want to keep you all day, but you know, this is also a question that we get very often on our Facebook page. So, you know, how did you decide, um, or, or let, let me just take that. Let me step back here. How did you pivot during COVID and has that, um, influenced what you're doing moving forward? Cause now the doors are opening. Obviously everyone had to pivot during COVID somehow because everyone's doors were closed. So what did you guys do to maintain your business? And then I know Andy, you, you started to grow a business, which I mean, you opened a door that your doors in the, <laughs> when COVID was going on. Um, so you said there was a strategic reason for that, but then what are you guys doing now? Cause COVID COVID's over in certain places. Um, uh, so, so kind of tell us your, what happened, what you did and what you're doing. Well, so I'll, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll let you take this one because I was based in Florida. COVID really didn't impact me the way it probably did the rest of the country. So we were very fortunate down here and that our doors were closed for two months. Um, so Andy, ours in Georgia were closed for one month. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so my, wow. my answer is really short because it really didn't last very long for us. Um, but I think watching the rest of the country not open compared to Georgia. I think Georgia, we were the guinea pigs, right, Wendy? We were. Kind of yes. watching us and they were like, what are they going to do? Um, and I just felt, I, I felt for everyone else and our colleagues nationwide that had business, businesses because they weren't able to open. But I also knew that um, I had a professional obligation to figure it out very quickly when it came to my business because we were open up you know we were only closed for one month i knew that colleagues were watching i knew that people across the nation were watching i knew that the world was watching essentially okay so um what we did was we pivoted like everybody else we went online very quickly i will say that we tried to explore every platform we possibly could we reached out to our clients and we had to figure out what they needed from us at that point. We wanted to know how we could be there for them in our community. What was most important for me and in, in our business was to keep our community at the time intact because we know that it was already there. We weren't looking for new clients right away. We were trying to watch what, else was, what was going on in the nation as well because we didn't know how to, We no one knew what COVID was, right? The day that I actually, um, the day that we actually went to virtual learning in Georgia was the day I came home with a newborn baby. <laughs> so for me, it was a hard pivot. I was like, what are we going to do? Um, so how does that play into now to, to answer that question, Wendy, is we, I've actually went back to, okay, so if current clients right now that have been with us for a long time that we know that we have that connection with, now, mind you, our, our business, my business, we do one-on-one -on -one training for most of it. We shut down the small group training to make sure that we were taking our precautions with COVID. We did things differently in terms of cleanliness, of course, and we just went super extra like everybody else with the cleanliness and um, started staggering our appointments and doing all that. But when we went virtual, what ended up happening was current clients, so again, please keep in mind that we did not go after new clients because we didn't want to introduce anybody new to our community. And that was important for us because of the precautions that we were taking for COVID. Um, so right now what we do is if a current client wants to continue virtual, we have that. But if a new client comes in and they want virtual, we won't do it because we don't know them one-on-one -on -one well enough in the space of what we do and what our specialty is, because it's really hard for me to see that muscle fire virtually, right? It really is. So our, our clientele is just different. I'll just say that. Um, so do we offer a hybrid option? We do. I will say that. But they do have to be one-on-one -on -one in front of us. Because in Georgia, to your point, Wendy, um, we are a very much open state. <laughs> and yes. so we're able to get people one-on-one. -on -one. But if they want to, you know, when they want to go hybrid after they've, they've seen us for a while, um, we're able to do that in pivot. So it, it definitely has been a blessing for us. 
Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think, look, most gyms nationwide, it, it kind of forced, like any new business that's coming into this industry, like it's very hard to pioneer a new gym, right? You're better off just to disrupt a segment that's already there. So you'll see a lot of the new gyms that are opening now. They're just slight, de slight deviations off what currently exists. The market's got familiarity with it. You're not reinventing the wheel. You're just kind of taking it and roll it in your own direction. So in terms of coming into the market, we're looking for disruption. For guys that were in the market during COVID and when we were closed, it just served as a natural disruption for us. And I think it forced a lot of gyms into just a little bit more of expansive thinking, right? So anytime you're owning a business, there's this process of evolution where it's just cumulative thinking, small improvements in your operations. And oddly enough, we actually just, we fine tuned our model with COVID. Uh, we let too much go in, in, my, in, in the hive, uh, my independent contractor facility. So it just kind of forced us to buckle down and make sure we knew who was coming in the, in the facility, when it got our cleaning up to schedule or up, up to par, um, our scheduling system improved. So truthfully, we didn't really have to pivot much, but operationally, we got a lot more efficient because of it. So, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm thankful for it, but as a business, we kind of, it, it did force us to just kind of tune it or tune into what we were doing with a little bit more attention. And as a result of that, we're more efficient and profitable for it. So oddly enough, yeah. Awesome, Andy. I think you make a great point building off of the great points Annie made that, you know, if you're going to own your own business or if you're going to work in an industry, there's going to be change that's forced upon you. So are you getting ahead of it and can you react to it? So with that being said, now with the fitness industry, there's been so much movement towards people working out at home. So has that been disruptive to you or you've been able to capitalize on that? Because, you know, we all know that people are going to want to get back in and work together in a facility, but there have been people that have made massive investments in home gyms. Now, is that going to limit your pool or do you think you're just going to build off that? I think for us, on to that first, Andy, I think for us, we'll just build off of that. But what it's forced me to do to do as a business owner is figure out if I actually want to open up another what we call a profit margin or a, a profit center. And when we talk about profit centers, it's what departments make you money. And because each department, whether it be group exercise or be one on one training, whether it be group performance, you know, each department is considered a, a profit center. And so for us, if we were to go virtual um, or have a virtual platform, that would be another business for me that I would have to focus on. And so um, for us, yeah, it's, it, I don't think it disrupts it. I think we just grow upon it. And like what Andy said, as business owners, you have to adapt and you have to pivot and you have to know that these things are gonna, these things are gonna happen. So currently for us, we're working on an app that we can launch not only in-house, but we can launch across the nation as well. Awesome. Very cool. And yeah, I think that's a really good question because look, there was a big shift. I remember doing some research when I was putting my business plan together for my new facility in the height of COVID and Peloton sales had jumped 66%. Mirror sales had that increased fivefold. So people were now planning to train at home. Now, yes, there was big investments make, but I think that's, that's a wave that's going to, it just, there's no sustainability there. Like social isolation is a big thing. And I said at the start, like gyms are more than gyms. Gyms are communities where people can come and social interact uh, after a day's work. And so many people now are working from home. They don't want to train at home. Like, so all this digital innovation, it's completely transformed like the virtual training space online. But for me, I don't think it's a trend that is going to endure only because I see the value people place in just being in a room where there's good energy with like-minded individuals where they're being coached, they're being held accountable, and they're just enjoying the experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, I saw the trends, I felt the trend, but I see it. I see it coming on the back end now. Where even our numbers are, are steadily climbing uh, week over week, literally, as people are slowly starting to kind of get off their couch. Because you know, guys, when you're at home, even with a peloton or with the best of intentions, it's very hard to get off and and you know you need that someone called it activation potential that energy just to get moving a lot of people lose that spark and they rely on us and facilities like ours to hold them accountable and give them a reason to get moving so yeah it's not something that i'm overly worried about to be honest i think pelotons in the next six to 12 months will be gathering dust and <laughs> throwing clothes 
<laughs> We're going to see them all over uh, social media for sale. Hey, I, I, I just want to add to that, Andy. You make such a good point because I think people have been working from home for so long and we've been in quarantine for so long that everyone's like, I just want to get out of my house. I think we had to do what we had to do as, as humans, as people to work out at home. But also uh, Andy makes such a great point because that's what we're seeing right now is they're still taking precautions. People don't really want to gather in groups as much. Like I think before it was like, do you offer classes? Do you offer classes? And again, with, with our studio, we didn't, we did it mainly for accountability and not necessarily as a profit center. But to that point, um, Andy, I, I just wanted to add that that is huge because there's hope for those who are opening up right now. I know there's some states that just have opened up last month. There's hope that you are going to get back to what we consider normal or what you thought, what you think is normal for your business. And people are missing connecting and connections and social interactions like they never have before. So there's <laughs> definitely hope. And um, people are done kind of doing this virtual stuff. You know, we were offered this virtual getaway. I'm like, what, where are we going to get away to? Like to the living room? Like, I'm just like, I don't know. I want to go on a trip now. So but there is hope because, you know, again, we want to see each other and, and that's basic human interaction. I think that's just what we need as humans. Excellent. Yeah. Great point. One more question, I think, before we wrap things yeah. up. Yeah. Yes. Um, and this is mainly to, you know, it's for both of you, because I know it's different experiences. And, and because I live so close to Annie, I, I kind of know that the answer like that she's going to provide, but I think she's going to offer some amazing insight. And Andy, you, you've got a lot going on, but when you guys are actually bringing in, so for, for the coaches that maybe are thinking, well, what do I do now? Or where do I go? You guys are offering, you know, people like coaches to come in and work in your facilities. And this is all over the nation, not just with you two, but what is it that you're looking for when you're bringing coaches in to work in your facilities? And then how do you manage not only your coaches that are there, but also the back end responsibilities? Because we see on Facebook, people are asking, what kind of books do you do? What kind of, what do I need to do in order to make sure that I'm, I'm not screwing up my business on the back end, especially when trainers, we don't really have that mindset. We know how to train, not necessarily how to do a book. Yeah, and that's a really good question. Look, anyone you're bringing into your facility, like collective character is vital to success. You know, so I firmly believe if you get the culture right, the results will follow, right? So I'm really big in just over-investing into culture, culture, culture. So when we talk about that, like what is culture? What is this? What is a high-performance culture? And this idea, basically, it's, for me, it's a set of shared values, beliefs, and characteristics that kind of define a successful team. So out the gate, I have my brand, I have my gym. What are we trying to represent? What are our set standards of practice in this facility? So when coaches come in and they're going through the interview process, yes, you've got to like them. Yes, they've got to meet certain criteria. But will they be proud to be a part of this company? Will they respect what it stands for? And for me, that's a big thing. Because I said, I think success is best shared. So when guys are coming into my facility, I want them to be humble enough to take criticism if it's due, accept uh, positive reinforcement if it's there, and just know that I'm always coming from a good place. And my number one job is to protect my business, my investment, and make sure that I'm providing an environment that is conducive to people enjoying their experience. And coaches are a massive extension of what we do. They're my front-facing people. They're an extension of my brand. They're the brand ambassadors. So for me, personality is everything. It's no good having the skill sets if you're not coming in every day loving what you do and really wanting to be um, you know, a part of the team. I firmly, like, and that's what we have over one of my doors, like together we advance. Come in here ready to share your collective intelligence with the group, ready to collaborate with us on everything from engagement to cleanliness to educating each other to knowing every member's name. So even though I've got, I think, 16 coaches now in my facility, I want my coaches to know the name of everybody else's client. There's no fear factor that people are robbing clients or any of that nonsense. It's, it's when you come in here, you're coming into, you know, it's an open door facility but be ready to be a part of the community because I think if, if I can do a good job of nurturing my coaches instinctively and intuitively, they're going to want to nurture their clients, my other coaches, clients, and essentially all of my members. And for me, that's where success lies. So yeah, when guys are looking to kind of get in facilities, go in there ready to learn, be humble. Uh, and yeah, just bring your best, I guess. Or if you're on, if you're on the other end and you're bringing people into your facility, it's not enough to bring people in because you see dollar signs. Like 
Yeah. You gain you gain culture in drops and you can lose it in buckets. Like what I've learned this mistake, one bad egg has hurt me previously before in terms of community standing and financially. So I'm very selective now with who I let in and what criteria they've got to meet. Um, but yeah, kind of went off topic there, but yeah. Great info. yes. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so for me to answer that, it's everything Andy said. <laughs> Culture, <laughs> core values. We actually have our core values on a wall that are that's written up on the wall. Um, and I actually hire a lot of my questions are based off of the core values to make sure to see if that person is aligned with our core values. Um, because I hold not only our team members accountable to those core values, I hold our members to that as well. And to what Andy said, it's all about the culture and the community because you do want like-minded individuals. Uh, there's no purpose of a coach trying to convince somebody on how to train or training methodology or who you are and what you do if those people already don't come in with aligning with your core values. Um, so yes, I do hire off core values as well. I hire off personality and heart. That's huge in our facility because I feel like I can teach them the programming and I can teach them because um, we're a teaching facility. And I feel like as trainers, we're always evolving and we're always learning. That's something that I take into consideration with trainers is are you willing to learn? Are you continuing to learn? You know, um, we've had our several shares of people come in and they're like, wow, any to do this and they feel like they hold they have the whole pot of gold and it's like mm, well there's just so much to explain and i know andy you can speak on this there's so much experience and there's so much ever evolving knowledge and things that we're learning on an everyday basis and you know i've had my brick and mortar for i don't know 12 13 years now i can't even count i've been in the industry for almost 20 years it's like, I can't share that with someone in one day. And, and you guys know this, Marty and Wendy, you know, as mentors to all of us, as regional master instructors, you can't share all the knowledge in one day. So that's definitely something I look for in new trainers is are they willing to learn and are they willing to continue to learn? And, um, and, and one of the other things that I have seen is, you know, that connection. Are they able to coach somebody? Do they know how to look for those cues, you know, the facial and, and, and uh, it's more like the psychology and the behavior that a client is showing, are they able to pick up on those things? And so we actually do an internship prior to, you know, Wendy, you know this, <laughs> before I hire anybody, they are required to intern in our facility to make sure that not only are they a good fit for our facility, but that um, the clients like them as well. I always tell my people, I don't hire you, my clients do. Because they'll tell me right off the bat if you're a good fit for this. So Ooh, it's powerful. Yeah, I don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> See, Andy's learning right now. Hey, I'm, I'm making notes. Don't you worry about that. I know you. I know Andy, you. Absolutely. Yeah. And Andy, you have interns as well. I know, right? I mean, you 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 bring in. Oh interns. yeah, yeah. Interns in both. I love me some free labor. <laughs> i'm joking no no I'm, we actually genuinely we hire off our intern pool as well so and that's it and then just to touch on that like so for people that are opening a business and thinking about having staff just remember this old school management model you know or the traditional way for me it no longer works people want autonomy they want and for me i think like shared responsibility means shared ownership so this old school kind of centralized way of micromanaging it's never served me well. I mean, I've never been a good manager of people because my expectations and people's behaviors tend not to align. Um, but if I serve more as a resource and I kind of show them the ropes and then I step back and I kind of give them some ownership, I've had really good success with that, where I just kind of lead with just transparency and openness and, hey, these are the expectations. This is what, you know, the level I'm going to hold you accountable to based on everything we talk about with the onboarding in terms of culture. And then I let guys be. Um, so I'm, I'm really not one to micromanage now. And then it's just because I heard this years ago. I was at a, a Grant Cardone thing like three or four years ago. And I don't know who it was. I think it was The Rock's manager or someone. She come on and said, I don't need to run everything. I just need to make sure things are running. And that was really powerful to me because I used to think, God, I used to be this micromanager and you haven't done the bathrooms and it's two o'clock and this hasn't been done. Whereas now I'm like, I'm quite happy to step back, serve as a resource, empower my team, trust them with responsibility, which leads to ownership. And then from there, we're just kind of, again, together we advance, right? Everyone is just singing from the same hymn sheet. So yeah, there are ways that when you get the doors open and you're hiring your staff, to Annie's point, 
personality is huge. I mean, we, as long as you get the personality right, you can teach the, the hard skills. It's the soft skills of mm-hmm. the little nuances of dealing with people and understanding human behavior. That, that's really what you're looking for because when these guys are front-facing in your business, that's what people care about most, that, that interaction, more so than whether we're squatting, why we're squatting over trap bar deadlifting, all of that fun stuff. <laughs> that's awesome. right. Awesome. I can't believe we are almost at the top of the hour. I know that uh, both Wendy and I really learned a lot and I know everybody else will. And Andy, you got notes and Andy, I'm sure you picked up a few nuggets from Andy. So, but this is why all of us are passionate being around NASM, right? This, this isn't our full-time job. We do this because we love the content, but most importantly, we love interacting with each other because we all have different skills and we all have different abilities and we continually learn from each other. So I enjoyed the the entire content and I know our audience will as well. So thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us, you guys. No, you're, you're very welcome. And I've just made one more note. You know, I'm always going to chime in. With <laughs> Absolutely. I expected it. <laughs> so a few things I've just made note of there. So when we're talking about marketing, I heard this great quote once, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. All right. So when you're out there in your marketing, whether you're pounding the streets, handing out flyers, just be known. All right, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So if you make noise, gain people's attention, we know seven to 11 impressions is enough for someone to start thinking about you and creating that top of mind awareness. So don't be afraid to get out there. When you are thinking about opening your business, make sure that you manage the overhead and then just what is the strategic value that you're providing, right? Make sure you have that really fine tuned. And then when you get your doors open, it's just about operational efficiency, simple systems, Manage the money in, manage the money out, take care of your core asset, which is your clients, create a good environment for your coaches, and they'll respond well in kind. And then if you're on the fence about whether or not to do it, whether or not to get in or get out, again, I come back to another quote I lean on all the time. If you chase two rabbits, you catch none. Make a decision, be decisive, recognize what you've got to do, and then do it. If the financial barrier is what's holding you back, go with a low-cost model. Get a secondhand trailer, start park boot camps, Whatever it is, just start working for yourself, build your relations in the community, and in time it will grow. It's like a snowball. It, it, it'll gather, it'll gather momentum. So yeah, back yourself. And if you if you're planning well, essentially when you plan, you're bringing the future present and allowing you to take action. So just sit down, write down your goals, make some plans, and then just execute. Well, like I know. Yeah. And and one one final word, like for me, seeing how I was just asking a bunch of questions is the reason I wanted and I know Marty and I wanted you guys on this this um, webinar was two reasons. A, if you want to do the brick and mortar, you guys heard what it takes, what what they've done to be successful, how they've grown their business and how they've been able to to withstand time as well as as pivot when needed and be successful throughout and, and grow the market to provide their special talents to all those that are around them. But also wanted to, to really stress, if you guys aren't sure about the brick and mortar, think about what Annie and Andy both do. They hire independent trainers to come in where you can still grow your business. And Annie and Andy are the ones that are paying the overhead cost and they're taking a portion of maybe what the, the final sale is to that client and that trainer, which is minimal in comparison to the amount of money they have to pay for the building and all, all you know, to keep the lights on the back end books as well. So there are so many different things that you can do to, like Andy said, you can go outside, you can do, you know, things at the park and boot camps, but you can also find a facility that you believe in that you're passionate about and that have the same you know, beliefs that you have and grow your business within a business. So therefore you're learning what they've done to be successful, but you're also growing your business within. So, so I just wanted to end on that note because I think you guys brought up all of these amazing points, but when you put it all together, that truly is what it's about. Find your community, find people to to work with, build your business and have a mentor to help you and guide you along the way. Absolutely. And like Andy said earlier, we're here to help. Um, Just reach out. Yes. So, well, quickly, Annie, do you want to tell people how to contact you and Andy, you as well? Sure. Uh, you guys can contact me at my email, which is annie.malafong at gmail, or I'm sorry, at nesm.org. Um, or my studio is Fitness Studio 108, based out of Johns Creek, Georgia. Um, just send a message in and I will help as best as I can. Fitness Studio 108. I'm going to go stalk all your social media. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Wendy and Marty will know that I'm off with my email. So the best way to get me is direct through IG, Andy underscore the hive. 
Um, so leave me a message on that. We can connect. And if we need to get on a call, we can. But that's probably the best way to get me directed. Awesome. Uh, if you can't get me, contact Wendy because Wendy knows how to get me. Oh, yeah. I'll blow her up at all Andy, hours. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'll babysit Andy's. Don't worry. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, as always, everybody, thank you so much for joining. I have a feeling we'll get a lot of requests for this type of information again. So maybe in a few weeks, few months, we'll bring these two awesome guests back. So Wendy, as always, a pleasure. Andy, Annie, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.